Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry and walk through their story of how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to go ahead and reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value out of it. Now on to today's guest. I'm sitting down with Lisa Song Sutton. She is an entrepreneur, Forbes writer, TEDx speaker, and Miss Nevada in 2014. She has started four companies throughout her entrepreneurial career so far, and I'm confident she's really going to bring a ton of value to the show today. She's going to really touch on how she runs four different companies in four different industries, learning lessons as an entrepreneur, how to really go after what you want. And I'm going to ask a ton of questions on really how to get from point A to point B. Other than that, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Lisa, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to hop on the Next Level Minds podcast. How's it going? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm uh, I'm really excited to dive in and obviously learn more about you, but I really want to start with a, a fun question to, to kick us off on the podcast. So if you could go to dinner with anyone, whether dead or alive, who would that be and uh, why would you choose that person? Oh, man, there's so <laughs> many great options. Um. I would say definitely, um, so I'm a huge history buff. Um, I would love to go to dinner uh, with like Cleopatra. Mm. Um, I mean, she was Egypt's, you know, most well-known female pharaoh, right? Um, you know, just incredible kind of history and, and background there and how she was able to navigate politics and business and um, all of that, you know, navigate all that while also raising a family. Like I would love to kind of pick her brain. Yeah. Would you ask any particular question on that on that dinner or? <laughs> well, just how do you, how do you navigate, right? Like, how do you balance it all? Like, tell me your tips. <laughs> yeah, no, most definitely. I love that answer. Um, so obviously you run multiple companies and yes, with that, I mean, two part question here. So I guess what are those four companies? And I would love if you could explain them in more detail. And then second part of that, you know, what was like 18 year old Lisa like? I mean, were you always very entrepreneurial like that? Uh, so the first part of your question, I'm an attorney turned entrepreneur. I've co-founded four companies here in Nevada, Sin City Cupcakes. We make alcohol infused cupcakes, Elite Homes, Christie's International Real Estate. Um, if you're familiar with the Christie's Auction House, we are uh, the exclusive real estate arm for Christie's um, in Southern Nevada. Liquid and Lace, which is an online e-commerce brand. It sells uh, women's swimwear and women's accessories. And then Ship Las Vegas is um, an independent mailbox central packing and shipping store. And I have two locations of those so far. Gotcha. I love that. You got your hand in a ton of different industries. And it's like you have your hand in, in fun industries too, you know, because obviously 
shipping can be fun, but you know, you have your hand in, in cupcakes. I mean, that's <laughs> obviously a fun, fun endeavor right there. Absolutely. You know, I, I get so much joy out of everything that I do. And it's, I, it's been a blessing, especially coming off of 2020 to be mm-hmm. diversified, right? So I'm in, you know, food and beverage, real estate, shipping, e-commerce. I'm in so many different industries. And if there's anything that I've learned in 2020 was, thank goodness I'm diversified because you just, you literally can't predict, right? You never know what will happen, perhaps a worldwide pandemic um, that affects tourism in Las Vegas. And so, you know, when you're looking at uh, where you want to commit your time, energy, and resources, um, I would strongly consider getting diversified. And being diversified can mean that you hold down a nine-to-five job and then you have a side hustle, mm. right? Like that's diversification. Um, you know, going into passive investments, like everything I'm doing right now, you know, with these businesses, obviously it's active, right? But I also am a huge proponent and supporter of passive investments. So I do have some real estate investments. Some are more active and some are more passive, um, but then I'm also uh, invested in REITs, right? Which are real estate investment trusts, which you just, you put the money in and you let it sit, you don't touch it. Um, So there's so many different ways to stay diversified. Um, So that was a roundabout way. Uh, The second part of your question, 18 year old Lisa. um, So I was raised by like stereotypical Asian tiger mom, just like, you know, hardcore on academics, hardcore on extracurricular activities. I was involved in everything. And then um, my father uh, was military. His background was Air Force. And then he worked for the Department of Defense while I was growing up. So, um, you know, certainly academics is really important. And then um, just extracurriculars. I was private piano lessons, private flute lessons, tap dance lessons, ballet. I was in everything. Um, And so I'm really grateful to have had, um, again, just kind of a diversified upbringing as well. Yeah. Do you think, did you get any pushback at all, I guess, when you jumped from that corporate role to uh, the entrepreneurial side of things, just with the upbringing in your parents? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the hardest part about, um, you know, eventually deciding to actually leave the law firm, which, I mean, I stayed working at the firm for the first 18 months that Sin City Cupcakes was alive because, hello, we needed money for the company, right. you know? Um, so, you know, I didn't just like jump ship, you know, and then start the company. Um I stayed working full time so that like our bills are paid, right? Which was a a huge weight off of my shoulders. Um, But yeah, that was, that was the hardest part was talking to my parents and talking to my mom in particular and telling her that I was going to be leaving the law firm because, you know, I had this business that was, you know, doing okay. And we were, you know, going to be able to sustain. And then I also had ideas to start other businesses. And she was just like, well, don't quit your day job. You know, she was just like, worried, you know, I think as parents are right. She was worried. Um, and you know, I think that goes to, um, like our parents' mindsets as well. Right. Like that generation, that era, you like the magic formula to success is get your college degree, maybe go get a postgraduate degree, get out, start working like your good job, your, your big girl or big guy job. Right. And stay with that company you know, and earn your golden watch and you stay with that company till you retire. And like, that is a good career, right? That is a career path. That will be the path to success. Meanwhile, you know, you and I, we come from a generation where, I mean, I was in grad school when Lehman Brothers fell, mm. right? So like you saw firsthand these people who had been working and dedicating their entire life to one company, right? And then like overnight, it's gone, overnight now you're unemployed at 55 and you're going to retire next year like like that's crazy so i think our generation having seen that like having us having been in like college and grad school during that time i think like subconsciously told us like 
hey, like pay attention to this because even if you're employed and you're employed with a great company, like you could be like one termination away from being unemployed, yeah. right? Like how scary is that? So true. And I think like we were speaking about COVID, I think uh, so- something that people realized is, you know, the eight to five is maybe not as secure as, as you may think it is because people are just getting, unfortunately, laid off left and right through, you know, March to now. So exactly, exactly. So like stay diversified, right? Absolutely. Keep your day job. Like, I think that's fantastic. And it's a steady source of income right now, right? So keep your day job, but have a side hustle or two, you know, and some backup passive plan. Like, have everything, you know, have your hands in everything if you can. Um, so that way you can stay diversified. Yeah. And I was, I made a video the other day about, I think you should view business the same way you would view your, your stock portfolio. You know, you want to invest in different right. companies, diversify, diversify same with your own business. So exactly. Yeah. That's interesting too, about the Lehman brothers. Like I was always wondering what kind of spurred this, you know, entrepreneurial development that everyone's really in now. And I, I guess after seeing a, a downfall like that, that kind of, kicked it off do you think i mean i really think it has a lot to do with the kind of the, like the under t- the undercurrent right it's not like mm. something that people point to but i think that just that undercurrent of like oh my gosh these giant businesses are falling right and businesses you wouldn't suspect you know blockbusters toys r us whatever it is and it's just for that to have an impact you know general motors ford right these huge companies that were so on top of their game in the 70s the 80s 90s as we were growing up right and that's what our parents saw and then you know when there's so much disruption and so much change happening through the 2000s with technology and you know new companies popping up disruptors popping up these big behemoth brands if they don't pivot what do they do? They file bankruptcy, right? Mm. And and what ends up happening to the employee? What ends up happening to the staff member? Either they're fired or they get reorganized or, you know, who knows? And so I just think there's some safety in you have control, right? You have control over your own destiny. And how lucky are we to live in a country where entrepreneurship is so celebrated, right? It's the American dream, right? Like you can start anything here. You can, you can build your own business and you can start from nothing and that's celebrated here. Um, and so I just think it's important for us to remember that and take advantage of that. Yeah, that's so true. And you can honestly build a business off of anything now with social media and how that's really progressed throughout Mm -hmm. the years. Definitely. Yeah. So I guess last question on the, on the whole upbringing, what, what would be some advice, um, that you would give maybe to the listeners out there that let's say they're about to start something and whether it's their family, friends, colleagues, they just really don't believe in it. But the person who's starting it does. I mean, how can you really shake that, I guess, judgmental narrative there? There's always, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, having been now I've been an entrepreneur for 10 years, right? It's taken me 10 years to become an overnight success. Right. Mm. So I will say this, there will always be naysayers at every stage at the beginning, in the middle, when you're cruising, when you've made your first million, like, I promise there will always be naysayers. So the question is like, who do you surround yourself with? You know, who has your best interest in mind? And I love this. One of my mentors told me this years ago, and it's something that still sticks with me. He said, get out a sheet of paper and write down three people who think about your success when you're sleeping. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, like it really like hits you. And like, if your page is blank, like you better change your circle, you know, change like who you take advice from and and who, you know, whose um, opinion impacts you because no one is living your life, right? No one is living it for you. You know, presumably they're not paying your bills. So like, what can you do to like take control of your life, 
you know, pursue the things you want to pursue, listen to your gut and pursue things you're passionate about. Like you have to do that. You have to do it on your own sometimes. And hopefully you do it with support of people around you. Yeah, so true. And I'm sure you can echo these same points, but you're obviously the five people who hang around. So 100%. Yeah, exactly. It's it's the same adage. It's the same um, ethos in there. Yeah, no doubt. So you moved to Las Vegas, what was it? 2010, right? Yes, I moved after I finished school, uh, moved from Miami, and I moved to Las Vegas. Had to okay. be somewhere more serious, you know. <laughs> yeah, Miami's not quite cutting it, so you have to go to <laughs> Vegas, right? No, I love Miami. It's great. Um, so you then became Miss Nevada in 2014, right? Yes. So I won uh, Miss Nevada United States and that was totally not in the plan. It just happened by surprise. Um, Mm. My mom called me. So my mom's um, a former Miss Korea. So she called me fall of 2013 and she was like, Hey, like, are you competing for Miss Las Vegas? And I was like, uh, I just started two companies. Like I'm kind of busy. Right. And she was like, well, you're getting ready to age out. And I was like, Oh, great. (laughs) Thanks mom. Yeah. (laughs) So I don't like buckle down and get serious, but I am so grateful for that experience. Um, I was a total underdog. I was not meant to win, um, but I did. And it was an incredible experience. I did nearly 500 community appearances, volunteering in schools, reading in hospitals, working with countless nonprofits. And I traveled all around the entire state uh, just doing volunteer work. And it was such an incredible experience. And I still have great friends and colleagues and even business relationships to this day from that time of high quality engagement in the community. Mm. And yeah, because I was going to ask, I mean, what did you really do from, I guess, 2010 to 2014 to gain that popularity? And, And would you say it was just getting involved in the community as much as you can? Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. So for 2010 to 2014, it was, um, so I was working at the firm for about half of that. Right. Um, and then started Sin City Cupcakes, um, got going at the real estate. Um, I was with Sotheby's before bringing the Christie's brand here. Um, and so it was just a constant engagement in the community. Right. And meanwhile, I was also volunteering, um, you know, here and there where I could, um, obviously the pageantry really accelerated that, but, um, yeah, I was just volunteering, staying involved in the community. I was on a couple boards, mm. um, but really just, you know, honing my craft as an entrepreneur and working on my companies. Um, the pageantry, like I said, really accelerated my community engagement. Um, and, you know, there's so many great nonprofits, I'm sure everywhere, but certainly here in, in Las Vegas is such a tight knit local community. Um, so many great nonprofits that do such good community work. And so I was grateful to just be part of it, you know, whether I was um, the brand ambassador for this, or I was the red carpet host for that, or I was emceeing this charity gala, whatever it was, I was there to help and bring awareness to that nonprofit. Um, and it was just so much fun. Yeah. And I'm sure each event you went to, people kind of started saying, oh, there's Lisa again. You know, your face probably just kept (laughs) popping up, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I got a chance to meet so many people that I otherwise would have never have met, right? And um, of course, they would ask me, so what else do you do besides this whole Miss Nevada thing? And then that was my opportunity to talk about cupcakes or real estate or, you know, whatever was appropriate for the conversation. So it was just, you know, incredible networking too, just as like an ancillary benefit. Yeah. And then on that TED talk, I listened to of yourself talking about, mm-hmm. you know, you went in and everything. One thing you mentioned that stuck out to me was that you started a business with friends and, yes. you know, some people say don't do that, but you mentioned that it helped you. So could you elaborate on that a little bit? 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of people who say that you should not go into a business with friends or family members. And um, I mean, there is some truth to that just because you don't want it to go sideways, right? And oftentimes business relationships can go sideways. Um, and I've, I'm a testament to that. I mean, I've, I have had a relationship, unfortunately, sour and a business relationship dissolve. And unfortunately, we were friends as well. Um, and so that took a huge impact. But conversely, I'm also living, breathing proof that it can work to um, several of my endeavors, I'm partnered with um, people who actually I was friends with before even going into business together. Um, and I think it can be a strength. And it's because you know them, like you know them really, really well, right? You know what they're like when they're mad, you know what they're like when they've had a bad day, you know what they're like when they've just been yelled at by somebody. Yeah. And that will happen in business, right? So it's, I think it's a strength for you to already know about that person, how they handle stress and how they communicate right? Do, are they someone who clams up? Are they someone who they don't want to talk to someone for 24 hours, right? Mm -hmm. And then they're willing to talk. Um, are they someone who blows up first and then they come back to reality, you know, and, and talk to you two hours later more reasonably? It's a strength, I think, to already know that about that person. Um, so that way you can adjust and, you know, continue on in the business instead of kind of finding that out as you're going through the business and hitting every landmine on the way. And, and it just creates so much discord between the two of you because you're still trying to figure that person out. Yeah. I, I love that because you've already, like you mentioned, you've already got to know them. And I think starting a business with somebody is honestly like going into a marriage. Like you want to know how it that is. person it's a relationship. It's a long-term yeah. relationship, right? It's a long-term relationship. It's just like any good long-term relationship. What do you need? You need excellent communication. You need to talk about expectations, right? Like, you have to have all of that mapped out. And in business, it's actually easier to map all that out because you have a contract. You have an operating agreement. You have a partnership agreement where you can lay all that out. I think it's a lot harder with a significant other because you're like, I thought you were going to clean today, right? Like you don't, have a, you don't have a contract with your significant other, right? To hold them accountable. But with a business partner, you do. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. When you were starting those businesses with your friends, would you guys have, I guess, like, all right, business time from, X time to X time and then let's go hang out and talk actually like friends do or was it just kind of all blended together there? Um, I mean, we definitely, you know, we papered up everything that we possibly could on the business side. And I think that's really, really important to do, right? You'd have to lay out roles and responsibilities and those will change over time, but at least have like a bare bones set of like, this is how we're at least starting. And then maybe two months from now it changes, whatever it is, but at least like we have the conversation now of a baseline. Um, and then of course, like, I mean, I think any friendship is organic, right? And so, you know, it, it will start blending over to a conversation about, you know, personal life or whatever. Um, but, it, and people will experience this. You'll see like your business relationship is just like any other long-term relationship. It will ebb and flow. There will be times where you guys are really, really close and like you couldn't even like live without that other person. And then there are other times where you guys are like really mad at each other and you're just only communicating because you have to talk about the business and like you don't even know what's going on in that person's personal life. And that's okay. Like, you know, it will ebb and flow. It's just like any long-term relationship. But as long as you guys can share a common objective and goal, which is like, hey, let's make this company better. Let's treat our staff right. Let's treat our clients right. Like as long as you have those baseline objectives shared, then it doesn't really matter how close you guys are on a personal level. Yeah. Right? As long as you guys share about the, the um, objectives for the company and then you guys also respect each other enough to communicate, certainly on a daily basis, about the company. Because mm -hmm. when you started Sin City Cupcakes, that was just with one of a fellow co-founder who was also a friend, correct? 
Yes, exactly. Danielle and I were just great friends. I mean, we met in the modeling industry. I modeled all during college and law school, and we just became great friends. And then fast forward, started a company several years later. Yeah. How, um, I guess, side note question, how do you get the alcohol in the, in the cupcake? Yeah. So we create a proprietary filling that's injected into the cake after it's baked. So we don't pour the alcohol into the batter and then bake the cake. Um, you know, we like to have a little booze in there that you can actually smell and taste. Um, it's not like a full shot equivalent or anything like that, but it's just a fun novelty item. Mm-hmm. I, I think I heard you on one podcast, the person asked or the host asked how many would you have to eat to like get drunk or something? <laughs> something about like you would get diabetes before you get. <laughs> yeah, we would joke and it's a bad joke. You'll get diabetes before you get wasted. But you know, it's just, it's a fun novelty item. And, um, you know, we do have some positive Yelp reviews where people were like, oh, like I had three on an empty stomach. And you're like, well, <laughs> it's not quite how it works because you were also drinking mimosas, but okay. like Yeah, you also you. did bottomless mimosas before. Yeah, the- yeah, exactly. You were also drinking alcohol, but okay, great. Like, yeah. What, um, and you mentioned you just kind of came into that. I mean, what made you want to start the, the whole cupcake? I know that's kind of a niche market. So yeah, no, it was Danielle's idea. Um, so she and I uh, were chatting on the phone. So fast forward, she and I, um, obviously we were friends. We met in the modeling industry. I finished up school, moved to Vegas. So then fast forward, right. And so now we're chatting on the phone end of 2011. Hey, what have you been up to? She was still living in Florida at the time. And she told me she'd been making these alcohol cupcakes, just kind of like playing around. She's a great home baker. She has a marketing degree, but she's like a great home baker. And I was like, what? I was like, listen, like, I don't even know how to bake at that point. But I just said, look, I was like, that's a great idea for Vegas. This is the place where people come to overspend, overindulge, buy and do things they're not going to buy and do at home. They will pay for like alcohol cupcakes. Like how fun is that? It's so Vegas. And I was like, you've got to move. You have to move here and I'll help you start the company. And she was just like, what? And, and she did. And so she moved here and we started the company. And she nice. Um, and you mentioned it's pretty e-commerce focused. Was it a lot more retail based in 2012, 2013? Or were you always distributing online a lot? Yeah. So we were just kind of like feeling out like what was going to be the best for us. Right. And it was just the business model was kind of born out of necessity in the sense that it was a very um, expensive barrier to entry to start a bakery, right? A retail bakery. So you got to go get the retail space. You need to have unsold products sitting in a bakery case and like you're praying that people will come buy it, right? And because our product has alcohol in it, we called around and charities were like, we would love to take it, but we can't. So Mm. even at the end of the day, if we would have had unsold product just sitting in the bakery case, we couldn't even donate it the way other bakeries do with like breads and things like that. Um, So we were just like, okay, well, how do we reduce waste? How do we, you know, start this business um, kind of on a shoestring budget? And so that's what we did. We um, decided to just go with the bait to order model so that everything is baked fresh made to order. And so now to this day, we actually have a production facility that's just off the strip. Um, and so we don't have like a retail storefront where you can come in and buy one cupcake. You have to pre-order by the dozen from us. And then we either deliver to you, um, you know, at the hotel you're staying at, or you can come to our facility and pick up, but, um, you can't just buy like one cupcake out of the case. Gotcha. I, I like, uh, and going back a little bit, I like what you mentioned about, I think Vegas is the perfect spot for this type of business. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like, fun. Yeah. It's like the, not that your product is weird, but like the, the more out there and weird the product is, I feel like the better success it is in a place like Vegas. So of course. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we, if we um, you know, lived in Iowa city, right. Maybe yeah. it could catch on for like the college crowd maybe, but like, 
you know, it, it's so different, right? Vegas is just the perfect place for, for it to be. And, um, you know, be- before COVID, obviously we did a lot of, you know, convention business, mm. tourism tourism business, wedding business. I mean, think about every time people have come through Vegas. Um, and so we're really looking forward to all those things coming back, you know, through 2021 and into next year too. Yeah. I feel like bachelorette parties too. Just exactly. Yes. Oh my gosh. We do a ton of bachelorette parties. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned, you actually touched on this a little bit. You, you said you started this more on like a shoestring budget. And I know that's a topic that you're passionate about, about, you know, starting a business with little to no funding essentially. And I feel like now in this entrepreneurial day and age. I, unfortunately, I think a lot of people are like, you know what, I just need venture capital and then I'll be good. So, I mean, what advice do you have there? And like, can you just elaborate on that whole topic about just starting a business with little to no funding? Yeah. You know, I I think the VC route, I think a lot of people look at that as sexy and they're excited about these giant valuations they get. So then they can turn around and like post on social media about how they have this $2 million company. And it's because they got this giant balloon valuation from a VC, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I think, you know, look at it this way. Like if you didn't have any social media, if you couldn't broadcast what you're doing to anyone, would you still be excited about it? Is this a company you would still be part of? Is this a company you would still want to create if, if, you know, your Facebook or Instagram wasn't, wasn't on, right? Um, I think that's a, a gauge that unfortunately we have to consider right now because there are so many, you know, kind of weird paths that can be taken because people are cons- consumed and obsessed with like being an influencer. And I'm like, what are, what are you influencing? Like, right? Like, like yeah. there has to be a foundation there first. Yep. Um, and so I'm a huge proponent because I've done this in all of my companies is um, self-funding and then bootstrapping. Um, you know, I think, you know, don't underestimate the power of, um, you know, taking a loan from people who care about you from like a family member, right? Or, um, you know, kind of crowdfund raising within your own circle and saying, hey, I'm really passionate about this idea Um, you know, and I'll pay you back with interest, you know, can I borrow funds to start this company if you don't have the savings right now? Um, And going to a trusted, you know, friend or business partner or mentor or, or family member. Um, There's huge value in that. And I think there's a lot of great companies that have started in that fashion where, you know, it was just some money that you either have in savings or that you've been able to borrow from someone close to you because it's not like you can get one from the bank right now, right? And then you bootstrap. You take all the profits from that company and you keep pumping it back in to make it better. It's a grind. Like expect not to make money in your first year, two, three, whatever it is. But it's like if you believe in the product and you're open to iteration and you're open to improving and constantly growing, it, there's a strong, strong chance that it'll work. So don't be willing, don't be scared to put in the work and be willing to, you know, test it out and see how it goes. Yeah, I agree. I, I personally think if you self-fund, let's say $10,000 just for conversation's sake, mm-hmm. I feel like as the founder, you would be significantly more motivated because you're 100%. like, damn, it's my money. You have skin in the game, right? You have yeah. skin in the game. I think all these, you know, oftentimes when, when you see people take VC money and they just blow money, like their, their rate, the run rate, the burn rate is so high. And it's because they go get some sexy office at a good address and they go get all standing desks for all their employees. And you know what I'm saying? And they do these like, you know, beer Thursdays or whatever. And all you're doing is spending someone else's money that you eventually are going to have to pay back or file bankruptcy. So like be frugal, right? Like, like be frugal, be smart. And, and if it's not your money, you better act like it's your money because that's the only way your company is going to grow. Yeah. And you can't forget the uh, kombucha or whatever on on tap. Come on. Like that's insane. I mean, it's ridiculous. 
Yeah. Do you, so I guess market question, I mean, where do you think the whole VC world could be headed? Do you think it's going to continue to have these big, I guess, balloon inflated valuations or do you think it'll kind of top off a little bit or what do you think there? I mean, I, I think as long as there's an appetite for that industry and, and, you know, certainly VC does work for certain industries, right? Mm-hmm. It works for tech. It works for kind of a quick exit where it's like, hey, you only want to build and grow this for 18 months and then exit out, you know, 10x your evaluation and exit out. I mean, there are different industries and, and paths and businesses that that works perfectly for. I'm not involved in any of them. My businesses aren't structured in that way. I enjoy having what I consider to be legacy businesses, meaning mm-hmm. that I plan to keep these, right? My goal with these isn't to 10X them and then sell them off. Um, I care deeply about these companies and these are companies that are involved in a community that I'm part of. So as a result, like I have every intention of keeping my equity position in each of these companies and being part of them for a very, very long time. So it's just a totally different model. Yeah, I love that. I can tell you're really passionate about it too when you're talking about (laughs) your companies. Um, So... Within that process, I mean, you mentioned it was a grind, you know, bootstrapping, putting the profits back in the business. Did you have any, I guess, kind of key failures that really you learned from that really brought you to the level you're at now? Um, like I said, you know, it's taken me 10 years to become an overnight mm. success, right? And so even though I have four companies that I've co-founded that are still operational and working today, I mean, I've I've dipped my toe in many other ventures and some of them didn't work out, right? Some of them are not operational to this day. Um, What I've learned is um, I really enjoy starting a company and being part of a company where I have a strong operations partner and together we can build a great team and great systems. So, you know, when you're considering an endeavor, I mean, listen to your gut. If it sounds like a good idea and, and you feel strongly about it, it's okay if you don't have any experience in it, but you better team up with someone who does. Right. Um, Or at a minimum, get consulting from someone who does. So, for example, with Ship Las Vegas, um, I didn't know anything about the shipping industry. Right. I didn't work at a UPS store, but I love the model, which is mailboxes. Right. Which are kind of like mini storage units. You have these like low maintenance, low overhead items that people pay, you know, 20 bucks a month or whatever. And before I started Ship Las Vegas, I had a mailbox at the local UPS store for like nine years that I just had on like auto debit. Right. And um, so I love that model of these mailboxes, this low maintenance, low overhead item. And then the shipping is ancillary. You make a percentage on the shipping and it's seasonal. So, um, you know, all that combined, I was like, okay, like this is a really interesting business model. And I had a mentor remind me a long time ago. He was like, just remember, he was like, the unsexy businesses are what make money. He's like, I know you're having fun, alcohol, cupcakes. You know, he was like, just remember, like the unsexy businesses also make money. And he was totally right. I mean, you know, for as crazy as 2020 was, um, real estate and my shipping stores actually had their best years to date. And um, it's simply because, you know, thankfully I'm diversified, but, you know, when you look at the shipping stores, this is something that's always going, right? The mail's always running, right? Mm-hmm. UPS is always running. FedEx is always running, even during the pandemic, even during, you know, closures of non-essential versus essential and all that kind of stuff. Um, all of that was, we were still open and operating. So that was a blessing. And then um, I didn't know anything about shipping, but I knew it was a good idea. And I knew it was a business idea that I liked that I could back. And so I went to my local independent mailbox rental packing and shipping store, which was like up the street from my house. And I, I went to the owner there, his name's Andrew. And I said, Andrew, um, I would love to open up one of these. I'm, I'm going to open it far away enough from you. It's not competition at all, um, but I need to learn from you. I don't know anything about running this store and you've had yours for a decade. 
can I pay you $10,000 to let you, or if, if you will let me follow you around for two weeks and I will capture all of your processes, like everything that you need, right? And he was just like, okay. <laughs> and, and so we did. And so I literally, like I captured, like from like the second you insert the key into the front door, right? And turn the lock. What's the next step? Oh, you have to unlock the folding gate. Oh, so I need a folding gate in my store, right? Like, like it was just granular, like down to like, you know, the kind of software he uses, postal software he uses for the computers, you know, what kinds of scales does he have? Like, I literally just took everything and then either exactly copied it or iterated and modified it to fit my stores. And then I opened two stores. That's awesome. I'm sure that was so much, I guess, fun for y'all just to follow him around and you're like, all right, need this gate, need this. I was literally a trainee. Yeah, I literally was a trainee. So like his customers obviously saw me in there. They thought I was like a new employee. They thought I was training, you know, to work there. Um, And (laughs) it was an awesome experience. I'm so grateful that he allowed me to, you know, do that. Um, And then even to this day, you know, I had my GM who's now my partner with Ship. I had her train over there. Mm. Um, And to this day, you know, if we, if we need like kind of just extra eyeballs or, or um, like extra repetition on something, we'll send some of our new hires to go train over there for a flat fee that we'll pay Andrew. Um, and he'll train them. Like it's, you know, it's so great to have someone who knows more about the business than you do and who has, you know, they're incentivized to help, right? We're clearly paying him for his time. Um, so someone who's incentivized to help. Yeah. What, what would you suggest if somebody wanted to start not necessarily a shipping company, but maybe an industry that they're not as well versed in. Is there any other methods out there that they can do just to learn from a professional, you know, like the uh, Andrew individual you mentioned? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's like professional consulting and things like that, but really like tangibly, like I would look through your, like look at your sphere of influence, right? Look at people you actually know who are people in your phone, in your phone that you can call to ask about this industry. You might be surprised at who you know. Mm. That's a good point. And with LinkedIn too now and Instagram. Yeah, LinkedIn is a great, yep. LinkedIn, Instagram, absolutely. Like social media in general, right? Like everyone has become so accessible. But, you know, when you're talking about, you know, someone who could potentially really help you and like be invested and want you to succeed, right? In a really tangible way, lean on who you know, right? Lean on your sphere of influence. Um, So I would say look through your phone first, Right. And then kind of next step is, you know, maybe scroll your, your social media and see who you're already connected with that's in that industry. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, I heard you talk about not being the smartest person in the room. Can you elaborate <laughs> on kind of that mindset that you have? Yeah. You know, I, I think especially now too, especially with social media, it's so easy to see it just scroll, right? You start scrolling and then you see someone who's you know, doing better than you or has more money than you or is going on more vacation than you or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, there's always someone who's going to be doing something more than you. Right. So the question is, what can you do about it? And like, what, what are things you can control? You can't Mm -hmm. control what these other people are doing. Right. And you can't control maybe, um, you know, God given talents, right. They're going to be just, it's, it's a fact of life. There will be people who are smarter than you. There's people who are prettier than you people, whatever. Right. It's a fact of life. So how do you control, you know, what's within your realm of control and like succeed and make yourself better. And I think that's, you know, by staying focused, like be clear on what you want to do and, um, you know, surround yourself with people who are going to support you in that. Mm, I love that. And to 
it's so easy to compare yourself to others, especially when you're first so starting easy. out. It's so easy with social media. Yeah, it's it's too easy, right? And just remember as well, like social media is a highlight reel. Yeah. Right. Very rarely are people posting like the worst shit part of their day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They're posting the best part. They're posting the filtered photo in Tulum. They're, you know what I mean? Like, like they're posting the best parts of their day. They're posting the big wins. They're posting the big clients. Right. Mm-hmm. So just remember social media is a highlight reel and it can provide great inspiration, which I think is great. Like, yeah. That's really exciting to me. I love being motivated by what I see online, but you know, don't let it get you down. Yeah. I saw, and you you might've seen this too. I saw some article about some like travel influencer. She basically got caught because she used to just post a bunch of photos on like private jets, but it turns out it was just like a stage set up in her house. Oh my God. (laughs) Really? See, this is what I'm talking about. Like it's like, it's fake, right? Like there's a lot of fake shit online on, on social media. So, you know, I, I think use it as inspiration, right? Use Mm -hmm. it as motivation. You see someone post a picture on a jet. You're like, damn, I want to have that one or whatever, you know, like that's cool. Like have that as inspiration and motivation, but like, do not let it get you down. Do not let it like think poorly of yourself because chances are it's fake or, you know, or they're like exaggerating. I mean, who knows, right? Like you cannot let it get you down. Yeah. And people like, sometimes they fail to look at what it took to get that to that point. I mean, like you took 10 years to get to where you are right now. And people don't really see that on social media, looking at someone. Oh, 100%, right? Because again, it's just posting the highlight reels. And here I am, I get to do these fun podcasts, right? And talk about the successes that I've had, right? But like I said, it's taken me 10 years to get here. Yeah, for sure. So you also talk about this too, running four companies in four different industries. I know you mentioned you'd love to get dinner with Cleopatra to talk about how she handles it all. So how do you make all that work in in your day-to-day life right now? I'm so blessed to have great business partners. So I have strong operational partners in every endeavor that I have. And together we have great teams, great systems, great staff. Like obviously our companies cannot function without amazing, amazing help and people who actually also care about the company. Um, So, you know, it's truly a team effort. Every single company that I have, it's 100% a team effort. Um, And, you know, I'm really grateful to have um, certainly strong business partners that um, can help me, right? Can help me share the workload, can help me with ideas, can help me execute on, you know, different ideas that we have. Like, I think it's, I think it can be very dangerous to go down like a solopreneur route because there's no way that like we can know everything. I'm still constantly learning stuff every single day. And so I do think that there is value in having more than one perspective, um, you know, having a second set of eyes on things, um, you know, so really consider, I think really consider teaming up with someone who can help you. Mm, I, I love that. With, um, do, do you think it's hard to, I guess, if you're a solopreneur, you just can't really ask advice because you're just by yourself, right? Do you think that's can hold you back a lot in your success? I think, you know, and I've, I've spoken to many solopreneurs and it does work yeah. for some people. It does work for some people in certain industries. Um, but oftentimes um, a hurdle that I hear about from these solopreneurs is that they're in a bit of an echo chamber. Mm. You know, they don't have people around them uh, that are familiar with their business or maybe even their industry. And maybe they have a supportive spouse or a supportive parent, but they're not a business partner, right? They're not someone who's versed in the business. And so you still feel alone. Um, and I think that, you know, can be a dangerous place, um, certainly even with like mental health, right? Mm. We all know how difficult business is and we know how easy it is to get bogged down in the weeds. And, um, 
I think if you also overlay this like sense of loneliness or sense of like going it alone, um, I think that's a, you know, it could be a recipe for danger. So, you know, really make sure if you are a solopreneur, um, join forums, join Clubhouse, join these places where there are other entrepreneurs and other solopreneurs um, that you can still bounce stuff off of, even if they're not part of your company um, and vice versa, because I think it's really important to realize that like you are not in this alone. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I'm the only employee or was a while ago um, for my company in Charlotte. And I would literally go to a co-working space pre-COVID and just like start talking to people and be like, what are you working yeah. on today? And we would always like complain about, you know, bad things that happen in our respective <laughs> industries. It felt like we like worked for the same company, but completely separate. So yeah, no, but that's great. And it just goes to show, right? That like, you know, as human beings, we're social creatures. Mm-hmm. And even though, I mean, I'm an only child, so I certainly enjoy my alone time. Um, but I think especially with business, when there, you, there's stress involved and there's um, experiences and situations that arise that you don't always have the answer for right away, you have to have other people around you. Yeah. What, and you talk about in, um, really having people in your circle that are influencing you and motivating you and giving you that positivity. And obviously startups, I think culture is super important. I mean, what advice do you have there just to like hiring on your first couple of people and obviously surrounding yourself with employees who are going to help the business grow? Yes. Oh my God. Culture is, is number one, number one consideration. And, you know, you can't communicate what your culture is until you've defined it. Right. So you kind of have to do a little soul searching and dig deep and decide what kind of company do you want to build? And like I said, it is different, right? If, if you're, if you're doing a 18 month 10 X turnaround versus a legacy company, it's different. The type of employees you're going to attract will be different. Right. Um, you know, for example, with our real estate brokerage, um, we're really focused on collaboration and we're really focused on, um, you know, especially my role in particular, I take a mentor role. So, um, with my real estate career, I started with Sotheby's. I was there for five and a half years. And then I brought the Christie's here to Las Vegas. And I knew in starting my own real estate brokerage that I did not want to be a selling agent because I know what that's like to compete against your broker for business. It's just, it creates a different environment. Not necessarily bad, not necessarily good, but it's just different. And it's not what I wanted to create. So um, we have a very collaborative culture and a very supportive, you know, mentorship culture. Um, so as a result, every agent that we bring on, even though they're a superstar in their own right, they're a top producer in their own right, you know, um, but we make it clear that, you know, for everyone, like we all win when everyone wins. So, you know, we are not going to be tolerating stealing clients. We're not going to be tolerating, you know, talking down on other agents like, we're collaborative here. And if that's not the environment for you where you can thrive, then you can see the door. Mm-hmm. So culture fit is extremely important. Um, and you have to communicate that to your staff members. Mm, I love that. And I think if you can have more people inversed in that culture that you're bringing, obviously the business is going to rise with those people on that culture. Yeah, exactly. And every time that there's a win, whether it's small or large, um, it, there's a genuine excitement, right? Mm. And everyone's really excited about it. And we have a group chat thread, you know, and we post up in there and, and it's awesome. Like people are just so willing to share. And um, that's how everyone can grow is when you're sharing best practices, you're sharing, you know, something that just went sideways on you. And then you have someone who's like, oh my God, that just happened to me six months ago. Here's what I did. Yeah. Um, you know, having that collaborative culture is so important. Yeah. So you talk about obviously multiple income streams and I personally also agree that that's extremely important. 
Mm-hmm. What are some ways that people can start doing that? I mean, do you have to start four or five companies or is there any no, other suggestions out there? Um, I think, you know, one of the easiest ways, um, you know, I, I have friends who started just a little E-Trade account, right? And they invested in some stocks that they're passionate about, that they care about, and that they personally use, right? I have mm-hmm. a friend who has a Tesla. I guess what? They bought Tesla stock. Like, that yeah. just makes sense, right? Um, and then, you know, with real estate investing, I mean, what's amazing now is that we do have platforms available, like Fundrise.com is a great one. Um, and you can invest, I think, for as low as, like, maybe 2000 or 2500 bucks it's it's a low minimum it's not like 50 grand you know it's like 2500 bucks and you can get in on a real estate portfolio um, so there's so many different opportunities right now to just, you know, passively invest passively, have some different streams of income. So that way all your eggs are not in one basket. Um, and then, you know, really think about what are some side hustles? Like what is stuff that you're, you're already good at or stuff that you already do for your nine to five. And as long as there's no conflict of interest, you know, offer those same services on Fiverr mm-hmm. or, you know, there's different ways to, to continue to maximize and literally utilize the same tool belt you already have. Yeah. Right. And I think too, with starting a side hustle, I think, and especially if it's related to your eight to five, you naturally get so much better at your career skills because you're doing that from eight to five. And then you're also doing it, but something you're passionate yeah. about from seven to 10. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And I like to, like, glad you brought up Fundrise because I think, you know, a few years back, it's like you had to be an accredited investor to go into real exactly. estate. And yeah. now it's like, mm-hmm. you can do it a year out of school. I mean, 2,500 is really not that much if you have your proper budget set up. So. Yeah, it's so attainable and so accessible now. So like, why not dabble a little bit, you know, and you're not going to break the bank. You're not going to, you know, put away life savings, you know, and invest it into something that could go sideways, you know, just, just do a little bit here and there. I mean, for me personally, I have stuff stashed into a high yield savings account and then I have, you know, um, cash spread out among different investments. And I think that's the best way to grow. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So what, uh, what daily habits do you like implement that make you successful? Cause I, I've been reading a lot of stuff, just like you are the sum of your daily habits and behavior. So do you have anything that like really works for you that you think someone could benefit from? Um, I really enjoy making the morning my time. Um, I know in the mornings I have this kind of like window of time to like get ready before I start my day. Um, and so like, you know, I'll take my dogs for a walk and like, I don't have my phone on, right. I'll take my dogs for a walk. It's just a way to kind of like clear my head and get going, get some air in my lungs. Um, and then, um, you know, just little things like when I wake up, like I text my mom and we just have a quick little exchange, like, Hey, good morning. Have a great day. Like just like positive, right? Like I start my day off positive. Um, and then, you know, once I get the morning going, I can tackle emails and kind of deal with any fires that may have come in in the middle of the night, but at least, you know, carve out some time for yourself, whether that's morning, whether that's hitting the gym after, you know, whatever that time looks like for you, make sure there's a little bit of time for that because you cannot draw water from an empty well. Mm. I, yeah. When I always get an email at like 4.30 or 5.30, I'm like, what are you doing? You need to start the morning out for yourself first and not just start putting out these fires. So. Well, and some people, you know, some people have a routine, right? And it's yep. like, whatever that routine is that works for you, like do that, but like try a couple different methods before you, you know, decide on what works. Yeah. What, what kind of dogs do you have? I have two corgis. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they're the cutest. Their names are kimchi and cupcake. Oh, you had to name one cupcake, of course. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. So what would be your your one word? And I always like to end on this question. What would be your your one word to really just to describe the journey and the success that you've had so far in life? Um, 
The one word, um, I would say gratitude. I'm just so grateful for, you know, um, all the experiences along the way and the incredible people that I've met. And, um, you know, that's part of why I enjoy doing stuff like this of like, you know, hopefully sharing value and sharing knowledge and hopefully it helps someone in turn because there've been great people who have volunteered their time to help me become a success. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. That, that's one of my big words for 2021 too, is, you know, so much is out of your control, but just be grateful for what you do have. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So where's the best place uh, for the listeners to connect and maybe get some cupcakes online or anything <laughs> like that? So Yeah. You can find me. I'm on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn at Lisa Song Sutton. Okay. Gotcha. And you said Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn, same handle? Yes. Yeah. Nice. All the same handle. Cool. Well, hey, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. You definitely shared a, a ton of value and uh, I'm pumped for the listeners out there to get some from this. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Lisa on the various social media avenues that she just suggested. Other than that, as we like to say here, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. <laughs> <laughs>